Hello everyone, my name is Logan, and you are listening to the Crowncast, and uh, this is the Wednesday Crowncast. Uh, we are going to be talking today all about the very unfortunate loss to Montreal. We're going to be breaking down some of the goals and, and why they happened. We're going to be breaking down some of the things that, uh, that maybe could have gone better for us, some of the things that uh, we think could could see some improvement in the future, and uh, the we there is not the royal we. It is, in fact, the regular we, because joining me today, as ever, is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. How's it going? Uh, it is. It is. I think that's the yeah. best way to say it. I do think that there's something to be said about the fact that you and I still weirdly get joy out of football matches, even when we lose, because we get to do stuff like this, where we dig into the data and we... We talk about the players and what we feel like should change or what we could see differently. And uh, and then it just becomes like a puzzle to us. We we sort of start trying to, to shift and change as though we actually have coaching power. Uh, I think it's, it's fair to start off with the fact that this is actually only our second loss on home ground, correct? Yeah. it's. I mean, it's and, and it's the second time we've dropped points, period. You know, it's not just that it's second law. Like, we're not drawing at home either. So it's still the vault. It's still a great place uh, for for an opposing team to have to come in and deal with. Uh, we still have a massive home field advantage. Just didn't work out as well this time. Yeah, and one of the things that we talked about as we were watching it was that we didn't feel like we had the same control over the pitch that we have exhibited in the past. Um this isn't going to be something that I say we have exhibited, exhibited regularly uh, because new team, yada, yada, all of that stuff. But we have seen this team sort of win the midfield battles, take control over the pitch, and, and, and push dangerous attacks away from dangerous areas. And I don't really think we saw that in this match. I, I think we saw... A little bit more of the cracks coming through where teams were able to find and sort of probe at weak points, especially without the obvious inclusion of Christian Fuchs. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, you know, the system that we tried to play is not a system that works lacking Christian Fuchs in that starting 11. Yeah, and I think that you and I are going to get a little bit into the numbers on this one. Uh, and we'll save that for a little bit later into the podcast, but this is our chance to get into the weeds, so we may as well get into the weeds. <clears throat> I think we did have one chance that both of us felt like really went lacking. Uh, relatively early in the match, uh, we have the Ben Bender ball into Andre Shinyashinki, who I think it's fair to say works some form of magic with his feet. I don't actually know how he pulled that ball around in the sort of traffic that he was in uh and then just absolutely fires a curler off into the post and that that little piece of of being able to carve out space where there really wasn't a lot is is really exciting from Andre Shinyashinki I think it is something that we are going to look forward to seeing further because if he keeps taking those they will fall I mean, sooner or later, if you're that accurate, if you have that kind of power from that range and you can snap it off under that duress, they will start falling. We are going to talk about what happens after that shot. But, Justin, just for now, 
that Shinyashiki chance, uh, that ball in from Bender, is there anything in that area of the play right there you'd like to highlight? I, I just to echo what she said, Shinyashiki drags back, uh, you know, in tight space with three defenders around him and snaps off a curling effort with power that absolutely beats the keeper and is only kept out by the post. It's it's rated, and, and like you said, we're going to talk more about statistics a little bit later. It's rated as a relatively low percentage shot, but it was you know, our best opportunity of the night because it almost snuck in, you know, just a, a little bit shorter on that shot, a, a little bit more curl, and that comes off the post and goes in. It was amazingly impressive to see. And again, you know, Shinyashiki scores in his debut for us a couple of weeks ago. He almost puts this one in against Montreal this past weekend. A lot to be excited about with the addition of, of Andre Shinyashiki to this attacking line. Yeah, so we're going to move on to what happens next. And I think what mm. happens next frustrated both of us a little bit. Um, it is the, it's the roller coaster of emotions here. We were on a real high from this Shin Yashiki attempt. It kind of came out of nowhere. And we, you know, in the stands, we all jumped up and screamed about how close that came. And then it falls off the post to Alan Franco in the center of the box, unmarked with the goalkeeper having just dove to try and stop Shinyashiki's shot. And... Yeah, I I will say, I think everybody in that stadium felt like we should have one in the back of the net. Um, rebounds, especially to the middle of the, the area, are something that gets practiced a lot on the train pitch. I mean, I can almost guarantee you that on a training pitch, if you drop that same ball in that same location to anyone who could theoretically take a strike in the professional leagues, they bury that, no contest, nothing. I mean, just just like they're at work, because that's the sort of stuff that they do. Um, it's not well taken from Alon Franco. And those of you who have... Uh, Listen to our post-react podcast. Know that it was not a a super strong performance from Alon Franco. That that might be a polite way of putting it. Alon Franco did not hold himself well in this particular match. Uh, that was it. Like that was the one that got made. That was the chance that if you grab that, this whole game looks different. And this is a sport of fine margins. Uh, you know, one of the things I'm going to ask you, Justin, is you and I know the the stats on it statistically speaking a chance like that goes in about 30 to 40 percent of the time and yeah i mean you'd you'd assume that xg is in that range and all you've got to do is guide it somewhere on frame because you beat you've got everybody beat already the work's done for you so uh 40 percent of the time is probably fair yeah i i feel like the thing that disappoints me about this shot is not that it doesn't go in the back of the net. The thing that disappoints me about this shot it is that it is skied way over. Um, this is a position by which controlling the ball into the back of the net is not an overwhelmingly difficult task. Um, and there's, a, there's very clearly a little bit of the panic button hit by Alon Franco as he swings his leg at this. It's a, I just have to hit this as hard as I can reactionary thought process. And that's not what I want. 
from that situation. From what I want from that situation is is calm and cool and willing to say, hey, I don't have to hit this that hard. I have to put it on target. Because let's be honest here. Unless he rolls it into the keeper there, it's going in the back of the net if it's on target. Would you call that fair? I mean, there, there's, you know, if you can just put it inside the frame of that, uh, of the goalposts, you're 80%, you know, that it's going to go in because the keeper's trying to pop back up from the ground, but you've got a lot of space. You got both sides. You know, all you've got to do is, all you got to do is tap it. And to me, it's a, it's a breakdown in technique. And, and, you know, I'm thinking maybe do we need to revisit that 3.5? We gave Franco on technique because this was, this was poor. Yeah. And for those of you listening for the first time, we have been breaking down our attack and we've been rating players on their speed, their uh, fight for the ball, their aerial ability, their vision, and their technique. And uh, we've been sort of trying to do this little exercise as a means to, to get a better sense of the team and understand where our attack might be most effective. Uh, we will be doing a little bit more of that today. And as uh, at the request of some of you out there, uh, we will look to put those stats up onto our Instagram so you can follow along. So next time you hear us uh, you know, reference these numbers, you'll know where they're coming from if you didn't get to hear us uh, rate the players before. Uh, yeah, for me, the thing that frustrates me with this chance is not that it doesn't go in. I mean, obviously, that, that's a lie. It frustrates me that it doesn't go in. It frustrates me the mentality by which this probably best chance of the game is taken. Um, and, and it's highlighted by the, the level of challenge and the level of collected uh, play that happens just seconds before it in what Shinyashinki does. You know, if you, if you watch the calm, collected nature of the real finishers in the game, that's what was needed there. And what we got was a panic button. And that's what frustrates me. If you hit a decent shot, but it's not perfect, but it's collected and the keeper makes a great save, you you pack up, you move on, right? But we're going to need to learn in that box we cannot be hitting the panic button because it, it hurts us today. I mean, we see... We didn't see a lot of press onto the goal before that, and after that, it kind of comes back at us. Uh, Justin, I hate to do this to you, but I do think we should break down the goals. Do you want to? Do you want to start with goal number one? Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about that calm, uh, you know, finishing in front of the net, and and Montreal shows us what that looks like uh, with their first goal. It's it's really opened up with a beautiful uh you know back to goal chipped pass over the top which is in its own right uh, a technique that is challenging to do well uh, uh and montreal does it and it's a one pass that really breaks our defensive line um christian mccune is following his man he he heads forward and picks up the striker uh it, it, you know dropping back to make this pass that striker chips the ball over the top to uh I think it was Quintero for, for Montreal breaking down uh, the offensive left or defensive right. And the chip takes, it really takes Lindsay out of the play in one. You know, it's it's up and over the top. It's in and behind. And it's just in the right spot where 
Lindsay can't really get back for him to get back. He's going to have to go through the man. And if he goes through the man, you know, that's at least a yellow, possibly a red. Um, Guzman Carujo gets drawn over as well uh, to this attack down, uh, you know, the, the Montreal left uh, to try and cover. I think there's maybe an argument to be made, and I don't want to slay Carujo for this at all, but there's maybe an argument to be made. He could have been a little bit more aggressive with his positioning, if not his tackling, to try and cut off the angle for the uh, the, the centering ball that ends up finishing this. But um, Kintera, like uh, manages to slot across to Jordi Mihailovic, um, who, similar position that, that Franco had found himself in a few minutes earlier, uh, you know, it's the center of the box. It's it's right there, sort of at the penalty spot, and a uh, very different result where, you know, Mihailovic very calmly slots that home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, Mora I'm gonna... doesn't. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say Mora doesn't really necessarily do a great job when Macoon steps forward. It really does kind of become Mora's responsibility to cover that central position. Uh, you know, while more or while McCoon tries to get back, he doesn't necessarily follow the uh, the um, the runner in there. So, so one of the things I'm going to ask you here, and and this is ultimately an opinion. Where does the fault in this play lie? Because from what it looks like, you could very theoretically say Christian McCoon takes a bait. Christian McCoon leaves his position, doesn't hold his shape takes a bait trying to make a play, and it leaves the rest of his team open. You could very realistically say Guzman Carujo gets drawn into the play on the left and could maybe look to take up a better position trusting Jalen Lindsay to take the one-on-one on the outside. You could theoretically say uh, Joseph Mora is not reactive enough to Christian McCoon moving up for a ball and doesn't cover his uh, defense well. I mean, Justin, is there any one place here that you're looking at and you're going, this is this is catastrophic? Or is it maybe more the school of thought that I'm in that it's, there are three things here that go a little bit wrong and it ends up really wrong. I think more than anything else, what you've got to say is, you know, there are little areas that it could have been better, I think. You know, you could even, you could even, I think, make an argument that maybe by the time the centering ball comes in, uh, it's it's in a position where a, a more active Christian Kalina steps forward and dives on the cross. Uh, maybe. See, I, I don't. I don't I do, I'm going to fight you on that one. I don't think Kalina has any say in this. I. I think he I mean, has to hold his post there. I don't think he can come out. I don't really think so either. But but it is. It's right there on the edge. I think more than anything else, what happened is Montreal launched a perfect counterattack. Uh, and and ev like, yeah, McCoon maybe a tiny bit. I think if you had to assign blame to anybody. The majority of it goes to Mora for not tracking the run and, and not being there to cover. But it's still not a lot on on Mora. You know, it's still not that Mora absolutely, you know, had a, a horrible time of it or anything. It was more than anything else a really great uh counterattack 
from yeah. from Montreal. I and I am going to step up to the plate here, and I am going to give a bit of an apology out uh, to Christian McCoon because live, it looked like Christian McCoon vacated his space. It looked like he got uh, pulled out of position and was not where he needed to be to cover an un- coming in runner right down the middle of our pitch. It does appear in the post, you know, when you're not in the heat of the moment, that he does step up with a player and and looks like he has a pretty good reason to be there. So, you know, this is the difference. This is when we get to go back and we get to look at the content again as compared to what we just see as it's happening on the field. So I'll raise my hand and say, you know, apologies to Christian McCoon. Uh, There are a lot of things I'll blame you for, but that shouldn't have been one of them. Uh, Let's move on to goal two. And Justin, you had some thoughts on goal two. We'll sort of move this along here. Uh, tell us about this one. Yeah, it's it's a messier situation. You know, there's there's uh, Kai Kamara comes on uh, to for an injury sub. Actually, after the first goal, there was an injury sub out. Um, and and one of the things that I, I notice watching the replay is the number of players that are drawn to Kamara when he receives the ball. You know, if you if you stop and take a look, he's right at the top of the 18. He's still sort of in that, you know, in the the, the circle uh, at the top of the 18. And he has Guzman Carujo on his back, Christian McCoon two yards away, Brett Ronico running towards him, Joseph Mora stepping back towards him from midfield. So we've got four defenders collapsing on a 37-year-old striker with his back to goal who does what every striker with his back to goal should do in that situation and lays a ball off. Ben Bender doesn't track a run coming in behind him. It was probably not initially the the most dangerous looking run. Um, So I don't really fault Ben Bender much for this, but we get drawn in uh, to, to a single player. We overload our defense onto a single player. And because of that, we're caught out. And then I will say again, you know, we got beaten by a very good shot. This is from the the uh, you know attacking right corner of the 18-yard box, and it goes across the face of goal off the far post on the ground. You know this is a worm burner uh, of a shot mm-hmm. um, off the post and in. It's a very difficult one to cover. You know you can't fault Kalina. You you have to cover your near post in that situation and force them to try and make that play and they just make it perfectly again you know it's just one of those perfectly taken shots yeah this is one of those times that um the the goal is that big for a reason and that's because a perfect shot will always find its way past a keeper uh a perfect shot finds its way past the keeper i do think you're right that there's maybe some defensive uh lapses that can be looked at in video and maybe taken into the training session and, and maybe we can avoid these again in the future. But ultimately the, the shot is just really, really good and finds the back of the net. And today it, it puts us away. It's, it sucks to say it, but, but those are the margins, right? In a low scoring sport, when you, when you really beat the, the, the expected value on a, a certain strike, Sometimes you can get away with it. Uh, I am going to push us along uh, because I'm going to move us into a little bit more fun talk. And that is, of course, our sponsor, AHA Disc Golf Shack. Uh, If you have not heard of disc golf, it is a wonderful sport that is 
local to Charlotte. It's one of the best places in the whole world to play it. And if you are new, you can go out to AHA Disc Golf Shack and you can talk to Aaron and you can mention the Crowncast and he will actually take you out personally and he will help you set up everything you need to play the game. If you are not new, if you are an experienced player of disc golf, you can go out and you can talk to Aaron and mention our name and he'll give you a discount on some discs. So that's pretty good. Uh, We are happy to have them. It's a great sport. It's great for the family. And uh, we're just uh, thrilled to work with another member of the community like AHA Disc Golf. Uh, So Justin, is that about enough of that? Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, it's it's we're getting into the right season for disc golf. Uh, you know, it's going to be exciting, even on a warm day. A lot of the time, you're out there in in you know the shady park areas and and have an opportunity to play through some really nice woods trails. So, mm-hmm. get out there, play some disc golf. Go to Aha Disc Golf Shack and and have Aaron uh, hook you up. Yep. So uh, we are going to move on to one of the things that we talked about previously, and we're going to talk in more detail now. And that is, we asked ourselves the question, and we made a bit of a mistake. We asked the question to ourselves, but into a microphone. Uh, So really, we sort of asked the question to the universe. Uh, We asked the question, is our talisman getting it done? Um, You, of course, know I am talking about Carol Swiderski. He is now quite a few games without a goal. And I did a little bit of homework, and I looked into this match what actually came out of Carol Swiderski, right? Um, And I want to be clear. There is an argument that stands for all strikers that sometimes strikers are having more trouble than others because they're not getting the ball into them, the service that helps them succeed. But I think this match is a relatively good bar for why that might not be the case and what we really have the right to expect out of Carol Swiderski in any situation. Carol Swiderski puts up 0.1 XG in this game. Um, 0.1 XG means that in theory, based on statistical averages, if he played this game 10 times, he would likely score once. He put up three shots. Two of them were on target, but it creates almost no value for the team. Uh, just to give you sort of a reference here for this particular thing, Andre Shinyashinki, this the new player who has come in and hit the post uh, today, he put up 0.4 expected goals in just this game with two shots. So with less shots from a similar position on the field, Andre Shinyashinki comes in and brings four times more value than our talisman, our, our highest paid player, our, uh, you know, our big guy, Carol Swiderski. And I have to say, this is relatively convincing evidence that something isn't working for Carol Swiderski. I mean, Justin, I'm going to give you a couple other numbers. I'd like you to sort of ricochet back what you're thinking about him. He isn't even the next highest person to put up XG on this team. Uh, Alain Franco obviously has the chance that goes wanting. That chance alone is 0.3. Ben Bender 
comes out of the midfield. And I don't think either one of us left this game saying, man, Ben Bender really killed it. He didn't play poorly, but neither one of us was like, yeah, Ben Bender just just ran that whole team out there. Ben Bender put up .3 expected goals today. Uh, I mean, Ben Bender had two shots. So, again, with less shots than Carol Swiderski, from a position that is less likely to get chances at shots, Ben Bender created more expected threat. I mean, Justin, I mean, how do you react to that? I think, you know, eyeballs on what happened this Saturday, it makes sense because I don't think that Swiderski, you know, the, he's he's credited with three shots, two on target. You know, these are long-range shots. These are relatively tame. They're not being struck with a lot of power. You know, one of the – probably his best chance – is from 43 yards out, 40 yards out, and it has an XG of 0.02. Mm-hmm. So a hundred of those shots, two of them go in. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's really poor um, shot selection. But I think, again, I think a lot of it has to go back to Carol Swiderski is not going to be sort of the guy who's going to finagle it around a lot of feet in the box and get a shot clear or anything. He's, he needs the space to settle the ball on his left foot and snap, you know, uh, through with some power. And he's not getting that in the current system. You know, you talked a lot about the, um, the, the service that's necessary and everything. And, and we didn't have a ton of really dangerous passes. We didn't have a ton of really dangerous support behind him. If we talk about, you know, progressive carries, progressive passing. Jalen Lindsay is our most dangerous progressive player in this match at right back. And that's not the way it should work. That's not the way it should be. I will say that is not technically true. The most dangerous progressive passer we had was actually uh, Jordi Alcivar, who... uh, was it Alcivar? No, it was actually Ben no, it's, Bender. It's Bender. It was Bender for passes. If you um, if you but factor totally. both passes and carries in, yeah, I'm yeah. saying Lindsay's the most there because you know when we attacked successfully, it, a lot of it was coming from Lindsay in that wide right space. And and again, I you know I go back to my card from Saturday night for Miguel Angel Ramirez and the fact that I don't think this diamond is working to support Swiderski and and really, you know, what's frustrating about it is at some point you've got to pick a guy to be the guy and then you have to build the team around to support what the guy does, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think we've got an opportunity to maybe have a couple of the guys. I think Swiderski is definitely, you know, one of them. I think Andre Shinyashiki has a chance to be one for us. Um, but I also think that there's a system shift, you know, because th- both of these guys are doing some stuff really well. They're they're both, you know, they're they're both getting involved in the pressing pretty well. You know, if you look at some of the stats, both of these guys had, you know, good pressing, good tackling from the front. Um, but it's operating in a system that is pressing well in the midfield and and getting some of these wins. And then playing the ball back and letting the opposing team 
reset their defense rather than looking to spread the ball wide into attack or spread the ball, you know, over the top. And we've talked again about the lack of folks for the over the top part of the attack. But, you know, these guys, I think we could fit Swiderski and get him more space. We could fit Shinyashiki and put him in. I think the position that he, he played a little bit more in Colorado in the right wing, but still have him be threatening yeah. If we switch out of this midfield diamond and to the four three three, um I just I, I'm not sure what Miguel Angel Ramirez is seeing during training or yeah, you know, I don't see I don't know what he's seeing differently in these matches than what I'm seeing about apparently this midfield diamond is working for him. I don't understand why. I will say, I mean, digging in actually gave me some kind of interesting sort of insight here. And that is, our most progressive players, certainly in this game, are kind of in a diagonal line across of our across our field. We kind of have Jalen Lindsay, who is really trying to make progress and progression happen, like you said. We actually have Brant Bronico, who came in with an astounding 94-ish percent completion rate and had the third most progressive successful passes on our team. And that makes sense. You know, he's playing at the the sort of base of our midfield. He should be someone who can distribute. Um, and Ben Bender, who obviously is sort of up there a little bit midfield on that left. And that's kind of it. Like, those are the only numbers in the whole game that stand out. And so there's definitely some some questions about how do you build a team that gets good service into a striker. And yeah, uh, I don't know. I'll call I'll call one other number that stands out to me in a positive way, and that that uh, in terms of shot creating actions in a thirty five minute cameo, which again I think it's good that we're seeing the subs a little bit earlier. But Jordi Alcivar, who I think has had a down couple of matches, I, I don't think he's played particularly well. I thought he would pour against Richmond. Um, he he came in and looked good as a substitute, bringing some of that energy. He looked like he, he had creates, a fire lit under him. Yeah. He's credited with eight shot-creating opportunities, which is, you know, these these sort of dangerous opportunities, these which, passes that put people in good places. Which we will say, you know, one of the things we asked is, you know, is, is Karol Swiderski dropping back into the field a little bit and trying to help progress the ball up to the dangerous opportunities? And his shot-creating actions... I mean, in this game, Jordi Alcivar, with his sub appearance, comes on and gets eight. Ben Bender is our next highest you know, rated player here with half of that at four. Nobody else on the team even made it to three. So we do have some questions about where the value is coming from to create the shots. But I think that's the sort of thing that, with all statistics... What we have here is a very small sample size. And we can stack them as the the games go on, but we ask, you know, is 10 games a good sample size? And the truth is usually no. Uh, you need leagues. These, these, these numbers usually work themselves out over league seasons. And unfortunately for a lot of us, we can't wait league seasons to find this out. You know, uh, for coaches, for, for the players on the field, they have to figure out, how to how to create value for the club and for the team on the field. 
And one thing that is true is a combination of the eye test of what we see on the field and who we look at and go, yes, that looks good, combined with the data, if a player shows up on both, they're usually bringing that value. Justin, would you agree? Yeah. And, and you know, a, the other thing I'll say about all of this, too, is we are still – Miguel Angel Ramirez is still tinkering oh, with very much so everything. Tinkering. So um, we've got to take that into account, too, the, the changes to the lineup, the roster. Well, let's hold off the tinkering talk because I do think there's going to come a day where we have to ask whether or not we need to keep tinkering or whether we need to find something and master it. Um, but I don't think we're there yet. I think Miguel Ramirez still has the right to be sort of poking and changing and prodding. Let's move on. And we are going to move into our sort of player ratings system. And we're going to do these a little bit faster, but we are going to discuss them. Justin. The first player we should rate, we are doing the center backs today, and we're talking about them in their ability to move the ball forward and create threat in the offense, not their ability yeah. to defend. We'll talk about yep, that. We're talking later. about them only in, in a attacking sort of yeah. contributing sense that way. So so uh, we're going to go. Th- would you like to do fir- uh, Fuchs or Carujo first? Let's start, I think, with, with Guzman Carujo. Okay. Um, one of my favorite players on the team for his defending. Uh, we'll see yes. how how much how highly I rate him for his offensive capabilities. Uh, I am going to go ahead and I'm going to give Carujo a two in speed. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much more to say. We've talked before in in some of our post reacts and things like that about how Carujo doesn't really have the makeup speed or anything like that. He's not the guy who's going to blaze into the box on a corner or anything like that. Yeah, he's he's not quick. Um, and that's okay. Yeah, he's, uh, I think we'll get to later where his strengths are. Uh, I think we will go ahead and rate him relatively highly in his fight. And for those of you who have not, uh, been a part of this before, we, we characterize fight by how willing they are to get stuck into challenges. How strong do they hold up? Do they fall off the ball easily? And I think Guzman Cadrujo is one of the toughest in our team. I'm looking at like a four or a four five here. Yeah, I, I would lean four or five for Carujo, you know, and, and some of this bleeds over into the defensive, but he's he's not afraid to get stuck in. He's not afraid to get stuck in on the corners, you know. He's the big body, one of the target guys. He hasn't managed to 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 net one yet, but he's he's always there. Maybe the technique's a little lacking or something on that the headers, but he's not afraid to get it in uh, yeah. and, and fight for it. So I think that leads us to the aerial, which alongside a fight goes kind of hand in hand. And I think his aerial game is really quite good. People haven't gotten a lot of love out of Guzman Carujo thus far, and they've tried. What do you think in four? I mean, I think there's a three, five, or a four. If we're talking purely attacking, you know, he hasn't gotten a head on. I did mention he hasn't gotten a head on in, uh, from, from a corner or anything like that which is where you expect to see a lot of center backs participating in the attack. Yeah. But the other part you have to consider is sort of that midfield aerial duel that keeps the attack going, you know, repositions for the counterattack, something like that. And I think Carujo has been extremely effective there. Okay. I, honestly, I'm comfortable with a 3-5 or a 4. What, where do you fall? I, I would lean 3-5 just because if we're talking attack, I'd love to see 
you know, a goal off of that header uh, to, to really bump it up. Fours, to me, getting into kind of a, a pretty elite level. Yeah, I think I'm okay with that. And if anything, maybe we've been a little friendly with some of our other ratings. So maybe we should learn to lean well, to the safer side. Um, there were some rose-tinted glasses when this team won, you know, three in a row at home. Oh, yeah, there were some rose-tinted glasses. So let's let's move on to his vision. And I'm actually going to put him at a five here. I think Guzman Corujo's vision of the field and understanding of how teams attack and how he can move to help keep pressure forward but not leave himself caught out is phenomenal. I mean, I think he's one of the best in MLS for this. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and I'll say we, we slated him a little bit. And, and I think we, we will slate him a little bit for his attacking technique when we get to scoring that. He saw the right passes to yeah. make to, to spring the attack. He, so I, he I don't see any reason. Him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't see any reason to, to you know, keep this from that 4.55 range. I'm, I'm fine with the five for, for vision for Guzman Caruja. I think he does some things really well. I realize um, it's bleeding a little bit into the defense, but just sort of what the player's vision is in total, uh, I think he's probably, he has the best vision of anyone on our team. Unfortunately, I think we also then have to follow it up with his technique, which I don't think is going to be nearly as high. Like you said, he saw the right passes to get us out. We did not just, connect on them. No, and and I do want to specify once again, we are only talking about his technique in attack. Yes. Because if is... we were talking about Guzman Carrillo's technique in defense, this score would be very different. Yeah, the score would be very high. Uh, um, so this is just this distributing is... balls out to attacking players, putting headers back down to the feet of the midfield to recycle attacks. This is just how does he keep our attack ticking over? And Justin, I'm going to let you be the bad guy here. <laughs> I I mean, to me, this is a two. Yeah. Um, you know, the only passes I see Guzman Carujo really consistently make, and maybe it's the system. I don't know. The balls over the top weren't there. The only passes I saw him making were were to Christian McCoon, to Brant Bronico, or to Jalen Lindsay, sort of the three players positioned closest to him in our system. Okay, we are running um, up on our time, so I'm going to move yeah. us on to Fuchs. Christian Fuchs, I think we can all agree has the speed of one. Yeah, I think that's fair. And we might be able to give him 1.5. He did. Oh, just for that long it. busting run back. Okay, yeah. We'll give him 1.5 for that. I don't think anyone thinks that Christian Fuchs is slow. I think mm -hmm. that in his prime, he was very fast. Christian Fuchs is not a young man, and it shows on the field. Uh, no, I think he's perfectly fast enough for a 36-year-old center back. Yeah, so let's move on um, to his fight. I'm going to put him at a four here. Uh, yeah, I mean... I, and that's... again, I think the only reason he doesn't get more is his age. I think the, the difference between his fight and Karuha's is there's a craftiness to, to Fuchs where uh, there's a, a, a just a physicality to Karuha. Yeah, I would agree um, with that. Um, and I think we'll see that split up sort of towards the end as well. Uh, I think I'm going to put him at a three for his aerial ability. Would you call that fair? I think he's about bang average. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't think he's quite at Karuha's level. I don't think that the drop-off is huge between the two, uh, you know, aerially. 
Um, I don't think. Well, I don't know. He he does have from an attacking, uh, you know, from an attacking center back or that left back position he plays sometimes. He does have really good vision. Yeah. Uh, what would you put him at the vision? I mean, he is often our distributor out of the back. How do you feel about a four, four, five? I mean, I don't know that he can be that far below Guzman Carujo. Uh, you know, I, I think a four five is kind of the floor of what I'd be willing to say for folks if we're going to call Carujo a five. And and I don't yeah. think it's unfair. I know, made, I think it's... I've made an executive decision here. I'm going to put them both at four or five because you're right. I do think Fuchs is a four or five, but I don't think he's significantly worse than Guzman Carujo. Uh I think his technique is going to be high. I think it's probably in the four range. Yeah, I, I'd lean four. I think we've seen it when he plays that left back role and he gets the opportunity to bomb forward. He puts in dangerous crosses from that wing. I think we've seen it when he's our distributor from the center back role. He's by far the best along our back line at playing that ball over the top. Um, yeah. You know, Mora and Lindsay on the wings, they will push forward and they, they attack very effectively in their own right, but... If you want a guy to play the passes that we needed to play Saturday to beat Montreal, we needed Christian Fuchs for it. Yeah, and you can see it right here in the numbers. You know, again, this is just what we get to see while they're on the field. We don't get to go and, like, watch them in practice. Uh, but you can see in his numbers a 4.5 in vision and a 4 in technique. I mean, I think the only person we have put even close to those numbers uh was through rose-tinted glasses. Yeah. You know, um, we definitely really liked Bender. And and Alcivar got some, some high ratings, too. So, yeah, uh, I think... it, it'll be interesting, I think, if we revisit this at the end of the season, when we've had a full season of MLS to, to grade these guys. Yeah, we'll have, uh, to, you know, we'll have to do a final episode that just regrades everyone based on what we've seen throughout the season. Uh, yep. But I think we are kind of seeing via our numbers similar things to what we were kind of seeing out of the stats. And that is the people who are more likely to play the progressive balls are the people with the higher vision and the higher technique combined. And that, as a rule, tends to be Ben Bender, Jordi Alcivar, uh, Jalen Lindsay, and ultimately, like we discussed today... Christian Fuchs, uh, those tend to be the people moving the ball up the field effectively, and we see it. So uh, I think we're on the right track here, and maybe maybe we can see uh, at another date where some more of our attack might come from. Justin, ultimately, the game against Montreal is not one that's fun to talk about. Uh, but is there any, any final thoughts you want to tack on about a 2-0 loss to Montreal? Not for Montreal. Can can we play the four three three against Vancouver this weekend, though, please? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know what? Uh, I'll ask too. Can we play the four three three against Vancouver this weekend, please? Please. Uh, that's it. That's the whole thing. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it as ever. If you spent your time with us today, we love you for doing so. Thank you for being uh, a part of this with us, and we will talk to you again after we go and take three points from Vancouver. Goodbye.